Let the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When I worked for Delta Airlines, I would frequently see passengers approaching the ticket counter at an airport. Maybe they lost part of their ticket in those days when we had paper tickets, or they lost an item of value, or maybe they needed their boarding card reprinted, whatever it was. And nine times out of 10, I'd usually see the agent smile and then say something like, I'm sorry, and then type something in the computer, and then they'd say, well, I'll send a message to the next city you're going to, and they'll be able to help you. And what I knew behind the scenes was this was a very passive response, this, I'll send a message. Send a message to a printer, a dot matrix printer in another city that might or might not be attended to, might or might not be read, might or might not be acted upon, to throw this responsibility down the road to the next city. That's all. How in the heck was anyone supposed to find even a shred of hope of resolution for anything when all they'd hear from the agent was, I'll send a message. And we wonder why the passengers hate the airlines so much. In this same way, this I'll send a message hope was no more than cold comfort. People are also told things like, we're informing the next airport that we're late, or they're holding the next flight for you, or I'm sure your bag made this plane. These statements are all supposition. They're not real hope. They're a false hope. But our letter from 1 Peter today tells us that when we're eager to do what is good, when we want to make the name of Jesus known and what he stands for holy, when we want to be upfront about what we know, who we are in light of God, then we are to do it straight up, boldly, and show people, give them an account for the hope that is in you. That hope for a better reality, for a life with God where God and humankind dwell together in harmony in a world that's filled with peace and grace and blessing, where God's love rules the day, that's our hope. But the letter tells us that hope in Christ isn't going to necessarily turn us into winners of the lotto or is going to make us live and smile like Joel Osteen. And it's not going to make us manipulate our world in such a way that we can actually control God and get exactly what we want when we want it. No, that's not it at all. Our hope is based on something much higher, much more loving, much more broader than anything transactional, anything even remotely resembling mind control or getting 
clear or filtering out negative ions. Hope in Christ, my friends, is not economy class travel. It's a first class ticket to life with God. And I say this because the hope we have in Christ isn't something we invent. We don't invent this. It's actually something given to us by God through Christ's resurrection. You see, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, he breathed his spirit upon them. It was a gift. The spirit of God gave them new powers to do things that they previously had never even imagined that they could do, to go to all four corners of the earth and change the world, change the world for God, for good. Their hope changed the world. And in our lives, we continue to live more fully into that hope. Imagine, you have a hope that lives in you because of Jesus. And hope in the world is actually something that people share. They give to one another. It's the ability for one person or a group of people to cast a vision, to proclaim a new reality, to champion a belief and live more fully into it. Hope offers new life. And that hope from Jesus' new resurrection life dwells not in the realm of ideas. It dwells smack dab right in the middle of you. Being Memorial Day weekend, I have to use all who've served in national service as our model for this kind of hope. Let's take our World War II vets, for example. In their times of setbacks and defeats and hardship, our vets kept hope alive. And this hope was shared. It was a contagious, powerful force that transformed a badly wounded, destructive, sin-sick world that was on the brink of civilization's collapse into one of dedication, commitment to one another, and tirelessly devotion, tireless devotion to see that defeat was not an option. The only option was victory. And so to aim for victory was to have hope, no matter what the cost. And some people paid the greatest cost to the cause during World War II and paid the cost with their life. This cost was shared between Americans and non-Americans alike, like the Polish priest Maximilian Kolbe who would not cooperate and be an informant to the Germans. So they made up things to intimidate him, to get him to talk. They'd say, oh, I know something about you that very telling, very telling, it could be really damaging to your reputation. And instead of playing their game, he would stand there and say, yes, it's all true. And guess what? I'm going to tell you some other stuff. I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff you don't know about me. Because Colby said, God knows everything about me and more. And it's all been forgiven 
so you can't bring anything against me. That was the first thing. And it got him sent to a concentration camp. Second thing, another part of the story, is that he was put in a concentration camp that was full of Polish resistance fighters. And one day, a shovel disappeared. And the Nazis wanted to know where this shovel was because they knew someone was trying to escape. So they lined up everyone and said, there's a shovel missing. If someone doesn't own up to taking this shovel, everyone in this line is gonna be killed. Everybody in this line is gonna be killed. And Maximilian Kolbe stepped forward and he said, I took the shovel. He hadn't, but he stepped forward. He knew who had. The person who had was a man who had nine children. And so Colby stepped forward and said, I am the man who took the shovel. And so the Germans put Colby into the ground. They let him starve. They just left him there. They let him starve for weeks on end until he died. This is someone who really had a deep-seated hope in the benevolence and the goodness of a loving God, one with freedom from fear that allowed him not to just speak up and say, oh, you think you know something about me? I'll tell you even more. But he's someone who was so filled with hope in God and in God's ultimate goodness that he realized, I have nothing to fear from anybody and I can go so far as even to give up my life for somebody else because I am not afraid. Wonderful, wonderful, extraordinary human being. The deeper fear of not wanting to face either our emptiness or our demons, or the fear of taking stands about things or stepping forward or being able to face something like the Germans, or whatever it is, is something that comes to us only when you've got that first-class hope from Jesus. That hope that keeps you from being afraid of condemnation, keeps you from being afraid of anything. You know your life has a deeper and broader meaning. You know you do. You know that God wants you to see and to hope for and to tell other people about a better world. God's love for us gives us hope. It casts out fear, and it enables us to take risks. That's what the experience in hope of being fully loved by Jesus is about. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we say thank you to all who have fallen, to all who have died in service of country, Thank you in keeping the hope of God's creation. Thank you in keeping the hope of the goodness and the kindness of strangers for keeping the quest for seeking peace and pursuing it. Thank you for seeking truth at all costs and for you. Thank you for the hope that dwells within all of us because of Jesus. Thank you for keeping that hope alive. But we, our congregation, we can't stop because it's Memorial Day. 
We cannot stop because we feel defeated by politics or by oppression or by inequality or by low self-esteem. We are called today very specifically by Jesus to keep that great commandment, those two great commandments, to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We can't let ourselves off the hook. Christ planted hope deep within our hearts, and our hope needs action and dreams The hope needs your gifts and talents and even your monetary treasure. God calls you, but you're not alone in this journey of hope. Remember, you are not traveling solo in a cramped economy class nightmare. No, you're not. You are joined with all of us, the saints, the fellowship of all believers, on a first-class journey where all who love Jesus will be loved by his Father, and he will love them and reveal himself to them. Yes, this is a journey, a journey of real hope, life-giving hope, and it begins now. So celebrate Memorial Day. Celebrate by thanking a veteran for their service. Don't just send a message. Do it directly. Celebrate new life in Jesus by allowing yourself, allow yourself to dream that first-class dream of God's kingdom being real, being true, and being right here, right now, in the midst of the Trinity Cathedral community. And celebrate and see that active and those transformational acts of God in your world. Don't just send passive thoughts of of good towards someone else. Energize yourself and let God fill you with hope to be God's hearts and hands and minds in the world to heal and to transform, to transform this broken world we know into a healed and transformed sacred community that is active and generative and ongoing, always for good. Always for good, always for God. We don't live in supposition. We live in hope. And hope is alive because it's dwelling right inside of you.